0: Well, happy birthday Arbor. It's good to see you our second birthday uh, you got cake and uh, apparently I got a cold so I have been sick for two uh two weeks and it it uh, it accumulated this last weekend where I got an ear infection and then uh, my right eardrum burst and so uh, ruptured and so. When you give all your howdy amens and cheering and reactions, this side needs to be extra, extra uh, loud because I'm not going to hear anything that you guys say whatsoever because there's nothing on this side. And so I'm quite in my head today, so we'll see how it goes uh, throughout this talk. But let's, uh, let's do a little confession time. In the 1990s, there was a little fad that came on where people wore these bracelets that had the, uh, the letters WJD. How many of you would be uh, proud enough to admit that that was you, that you wore some of those things? There you go. Yes, exactly. Not as many as I thought. There you go. So some of you are ashamed. You just don't want to admit it. But uh, let me tell you where that came from. It didn't come from 1990. It actually came from the 1890s. 1896, there was a pastor in Tobeka, Kansas named Charles Sheldon. And he wrote a book called In His Steps. And in the 1800s, this book sold more than 30 million copies. So it was a total big, big hit. The idea, the story was behind it was it was a small town living and these characters inside of the story would go through, get into situations and into circumstances and they would ask the question, if Jesus was in this situation, what would he do? What would Jesus do? And it's a, it's a profound question to ask, truly. And um, to ask ourselves on a daily basis in whatever situation we come into, why would Jesus respond, react? What would he do in this type of situation? And so somebody came up with a clever idea of creating bracelets where you could do that and would remind ourselves to what would Jesus do in this situation or to ask that question. Well, we're going to ask a similar question to that, but not the same question. We wanna ask in this series for the next four weeks, what would Jesus undo, right? In the red letters, in the words that Jesus spoke, what was it that broke Jesus's heart? What was it that bothered him? What upset him? What would Jesus go and undo? I know what I would undo, because there's many things in my life that I would go through and undo. One of them would be the way I reacted to my wife's gifts on our fifth anniversary. She got me hiking boots, all right, because apparently she had this desire to be active and healthy and exercise um, with her husband, and so she put a lot of thought into it, you guys, and my response was, how would you say it, babe? Yeah, eh, that's what I got right there. I got an eh response, and so she, she actually got me a book that had the 125 best hikes in Washington that I guess three months ago we just took to the Goodwill, Um <laughs> She wrote up a page, a full page about the story of our journey and how we we're going to hike it together what um, what may? We're going to tackle it together. And so when we opened up the present, she told me, and I asked her this morning, that I, my response was, you know, I wasn't mean, I wasn't rude, but it left a lot to be desired. And I don't know if you've ever done that before where you have given a gift and you've put in a lot of thought and you've put in a lot of intentionality into it and you're really excited to give it to that person and you give it to them and they're like, like you said, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I wonder if that's how Jesus feels sometimes when it comes to us. Think about this. He stepped out of heaven. He experienced hunger, pain, loss, all of those kind of things. He sacrificed his life. And then he overcame death itself. And because of that, we have forgiveness for sins. We have the opportunity to live life to the full. Because of that, we have the same spirit inside us that was inside him. Because of that, we can look forward to heaven on a daily basis. We have access to him, not just through his word, but direct access to God through prayer. And with all of that, yet somehow, day to day, we can go through and not think about God and not think about Jesus and the beautiful, amazing gift that he has given us. And you gotta think, how does that make Jesus feel? What would Jesus Undo, And I think the first topic or the first thing that I think Jesus would undo, right? And we're just going to call it this. We'll call it spiritual indifference. Spiritual indifference. And this is not new to our generation. In fact, our generation, I don't know if you know this, has been called the eh generation. M-E-H, the eh generation. How you doing today? Eh. What are you excited about? Eh. Exactly. You got purpose in your life, meaning? How's it going? Are you changing the world? Yeah. Eh. yeah. And so, truly, we have been known as the me or the meh generation. And, and in the book of Revelations, Jesus actually wrote seven letters to seven different churches. And one of the churches could probably be characterized as the eh church. They were the uh, spiritually indifferent. The Laodicea, in Laodicea, that was the name of the city. It was a very wealthy city, but they were spiritually indifferent. 35 years prior to when the, uh, the letter was written, the book of Revelations was written, uh, this city was destroyed by a great earthquake. And so they had to rebuild. And so they rebuilt the city. They built it in big style. They came back strong. They had theaters. They had stadiums. They had lavish public baths. They had shopping centers. You think of it as a modern-day Dubai or like Vegas. It was the place to be. There was a problem, though, in the city. And the problem was this, is that they had inadequate water supply. And you could see why that would be a problem. They established their city based between two major trade routes— Most of the time when a city is established back then, it was based upon, you know, natural resources like water. So because they couldn't get water easily accessed to them, what they ended up doing is they built elaborate water ducts. So they decided that they would pipe in water from two different sources, from two different cities. The first city was called Colossae. And they were up in the mountains. And up in the mountains, obviously, that's where the water is cold and the water is fresh. And the water was piped in from there. And then there was one called Heropolis. And that was a place where they were known for their hot springs, right? And both had purposes. Cold water has purpose for drinking and for refreshing and things of that nature. And hot water has purpose for like bathing and cleaning and things of that. But the problem was, the downside was, by the time the water got to Laodicea, what would happen is the hot water would become lukewarm and the cold water would become lukewarm. And so by the time it got there, it was no longer hot. It was no longer cold. It was dirty. It was tepid and it was lukewarm. And so Jesus wrote a letter to this community. And what's beautiful is he used language and word pictures that they would have been oh so familiar with. Because everybody in that city would have known about the water problem and the lukewarm water. And so here's what he says in Revelation 3. Jesus said, I know your deeds. So I know what you've done this week. I know what you've done last week. I've been watching you. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Because both serve a purpose. So because you are lukewarm, again, like the water that they knew, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What Jesus is saying is that you are spiritually stale. You are depressingly detached. After everything I've done, coming down from heaven, after everything I've given to you, you don't seem to care. And the language here is interesting because the term spit you out actually means to vomit you is what it actually means. And so, catch this, spiritually indifferent, being spiritually indifferent doesn't just break God's heart, it actually turns his stomach. And so, before we talk about what to do about spiritual indifference, I think it'd be important to go over what causes Spiritual indifference, and how some of us have found ourselves in this place. And there's two major causes that Jesus kind of talks about. And so let's start with the first one. And the first one is this it's the illusion of self sufficiency. The illusion of self sufficiency, that we can do it on our own. Look at what Jesus says in the next verse to the Laodiceans. He says, This, He says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired great wealth, and I do not need a thing. But, and this is Jesus talking, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They think they have it all together. They think they have everything they need. And what Jesus is telling me is you're missing it. You don't get it. You don't realize. You think you have what you need, but you're actually missing what matters most. Friends, I see this all the time, and I experience it all the time in conversations that I have with people, especially in today's day and age. When you start to have spiritual conversations with someone on a flight, at a coffee shop, you know, just a friend chatting, oftentimes you get this as you start to move down this Jesus road and you start to share or bring up that conversation, there comes to be this wall. Do you know what I'm talking about? This, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm glad that that works for you but I'm good over here. Everything that I got, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good, I've got my car, I've got my, you know, I've got my cell phone, I've got my Netflix, I got a Snuggie, I'm good. I don't need anything else, I'm totally fine. And what Jesus is saying is you may have worldly wealth, you may have acquired a lot, but you're spiritually bankrupt. You may have been living your life with full of stuff but it's empty of meaning and we think we can make it on our own and so there's this illusion of self-sufficiency. The second thing, the second cause of spiritual indifference is distractions. Distractions of this world. Jesus told this parable about a farmer who was sowing seed and he said, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in. And what do they do? And choke the word, making it unfruitful. Friends, this is, if I'm just shooting straight with you, this is my life. And this is so many of your lives as well. This is my story and this is your story. We hear a moving message. Uh, God's word presented us into a way that connects, right? Right? And we have this moment with God, whether through worship or some sort of experience, and we're inspired to live out our faith and momentum starts to build and we start to grow and we're taking steps forward in our relationship with Jesus. And then boom, friends from out of town drop by. Your kid has a birthday party. There's dinners to make, laundry to wash. The baby is screaming because he's got another tooth. Your wife cracks her tooth and you have to take an emergency trip to the dentist. Your family is sick. You get sick. You're sick so you decide you wanna take a bath. You don't take a bath often but when you do, all of a sudden your kids are running upstairs screaming at you saying that it's leaking from the second floor through the ceiling into the first floor. And that makes super specific that that was me last week. That was my week, okay? Life just happens, right? And it chokes out the word. You're making steps in your faith and it chokes out the word. And it's not like we don't care, right? It's not like we don't want to have a strong relationship with Jesus or we don't want to have anything to do with him. We just get distracted. Distracted by the things of this world and the crazy circumstances of trying to make our way through it. And then suddenly, what we find is after distraction, after distraction, after distraction, we suddenly find ourselves spiritually indifferent, spiritually numb. I love this quote. It says, Feeling numb isn't the absence of feeling, but the sensation of feeling too much at once. We have distractions, and that's one of the causes. There's two causes of spiritual indifference one is self sufficiency. And two is distractions of this world. Let's just call it what it is, okay? Let's just, let's shoot straight. Over all the world today, and especially in this area in which we live, in our culture, there are so many people that have just a little bit of Jesus. just, Just a little bit. Just enough to make them feel comfortable, right? Just enough to feel secure about eternity, to feel good about eternity. I, I, I came to know Jesus. I said a prayer when I was a kid and I got baptized a little bit later. Just enough to like, ah, I think I'll go to church today, but I don't know about next week. Or just enough to like, I'll get involved with this, but not too far. I don't want to go too crazy. Just enough to make us feel comfortable, to make us feel good about where we're at in our eternity, but not enough to move us, to inspire us, to to see our own sinfulness and to live a life that glorifies Jesus for his glory. Not for our glory, but for his glory. Just enough to feel better about ourselves, but not enough to change us. And so what would Jesus undo? I think Jesus would undo lukewarm indifference because it doesn't just break his heart, it actually turns his stomach. It says it makes him want to vomit. And so how do we know? How do we know if we're living spiritually indifferent? And based upon my own personal experience and two decades almost of being a pastor, I wrote down six indicators of what I have seen to be a pattern of people who live with spiritual indifference. Here's the first one. When we're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. We may be moving down that path of spiritual indifference when we start to become more concerned with impressing people than living for God. Do you like me? Do you like my shoes? How about my shirt? you like my hair? Should I cut it? Did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Did I offend you? I'm so sorry, right? We become so concerned with what other people think. I've heard this phrase, I love it. Becoming obsessed with what other people think is the quickest way to forget about what God thinks about you. And what God thinks about you is he loves you. He cares about you. And I want to be worried about impressing him and loving him back in my lifetime rather than worrying about what other people think of me. That's hard, guys. I get that. That's easier said than done. But it's an indicator. Second one when we're obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity in heaven, right? We're acquiring this, we're acquiring that. If I could just get to this, if I can just get to that, if I could reach this goal, then all of a sudden at that point in time, everything will be better and I will be happy and I'll be satisfied. We just come to find out that that is a lie. The moment you get what you want on earth, you realize it's only temporary. And scripture says, he who loves the world does not have the love of the Father in him. And so we got to love what's beyond this world. we got to look forward to heaven way more than we would look forward to what's going to happen tomorrow on this planet. Number three, we rationalize sin and live without truly fearing God. We try to justify it. In fact, we even rename it. We start calling sin stuff, I'm going through a lot of stuff right now. I just got a lot of stuff going on in my life. Well, if we're shooting straight, it is, I've got a lot of sin going on in my life. And we should just call it what it is, right? And in comparison, my sin isn't as bad as other people. And I'm I'm definitely not hurting anybody. So it's not that bad. In fact, don't you judge me. Don't you judge me because I've seen what you do, right? And we rationalize sin without truly truly fearing what God wants us to do with our sin, which is to confess it, which is to give it to him so that it can be covered by Jesus's blood. Number four, we believe in Jesus, but rarely share our faith. This one's huge. We believe in Jesus, right? We believe he is who he says he is and he has done what he has said he has done. But yet we rarely share that. Think about that. Why do you think we don't share our faith that often? Partially, we're fear of being rejected by somebody else. But if we really believed the gospel, the power of the gospel, and what Jesus has done for us, and we really believe that, that that means that there are people who are internally separated from God that need to know about him. And if that's the case, my goodness, we have got to be the most uncaring people to say Nothing. And to be silent, we have to risk rejection in order for them to know if we truly believe in the gospel, if we believe in Jesus but rarely share our faith. Number five, we only turn to God when we need him, right? We only pray when our pipes burst on our second floor into our ceiling, down into our first floor, or when your eardrum ruptures, right? We only pray when we, instead of seeking God daily, we seek Him when we can benefit from Him. God, come save me in this situation. Ah, I'm good now. You can go back into the closet where you were and that'll be great. I'll continue on in my life. Oh, crud, I ran into something. Lord, would you help me again? Right? And God is a good God and He understands this pattern of behavior in us. But It is an indicator. Last one, we're not much different. When you look at yourself, we're not much different from the world. This is a huge indicator that we watch the same movies, we listen to the same music, we spend our money on the same exact things. The divorce rate sure isn't any different, although it should be. We raise our kids with the same values and suddenly we wake up and we find that we are no different and we look exactly like the rest of the world. We are spiritually indifferent. Friends, I found myself at this stage in my life where I was doing God's ministry. But I found that when I was back doing God's ministry and doing his work, that I was trying to build a kingdom unto my own. I didn't realize it as much. But I would do good works too to, so, so people would see that and think I'd you know pat me on the back or give me an attaboy. And I thought I was building this legacy And then all of a sudden, God interrupted my life in a huge way. Most of you know the story. We got diagnosis day. That came. That our daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer. And then in nine months, she was gone. And what that did is that awoke me from spiritual indifference. It made me aware of what is important on earth and what is important in heaven, and what is inevitably the most important. And it focused my world in a way that I had never had it focused before. I became more passionate about heaven than I had ever been in my entire life. I wanted to know everything about heaven, and then I wanted everybody that I know to know about heaven, and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that affected me so much that it changed my life and the trajectory of my life that I didn't have to walk around trying to pretend to be a Christian or to try to pretend to follow Christ. I really wanted to follow him. I opened the door and I let him in fully. God, come what may, I'll do what you want. Come what may. And then he had his way in there. And now I get to stand up here on a weekly basis and I get to share the hope of Jesus on a weekly basis. I get to talk about how good he is and the opportunity that each of us have to enter into a relationship with him and inevitably spend eternity with him in a place called heaven. And there's no pain. There's no loss. There's only joy. And we get to worship him in purity, without any of this selfishness going on inside of our head. And what I hope for you is that it doesn't take a tragedy to break you out of your indifference, if that's you. And I know that's not everybody here. Some of you are hot, right? Some of you, in the way you're, like, you are on fire. You are passionate for Christ. And that's amazing. I say keep on, keep on. The kingdom needs you. Keep running at the pace you're running because we're not home yet. We'll be home, but not yet, so keep running. Some of you are cold and you want nothing to do with Christ. You're like, I'm, I... I'm all good. I'm good. I got everything I need. I just encourage you, truly, if you don't know Jesus, he's worth getting to know. But for the rest of us, you're either hot or cold. You're yeah. Right? Should I go to church today? Yeah. Should I join in community? Should I join a group? Should I take that step of faith? Yeah. Should I use the gifts that God has given me for his kingdom and for his purpose rather than just for myself? Yeah. I don't know. Should I lead someone? Should I speak up? Talk to somebody about the great news that has changed my heart and my life? Yeah. We are the yeah, generation. And so what would Jesus undo? I think he would undo indifference because it doesn't just break his heart, it turns his stomach. And so, what do we do if that's us? If we didn't mean to get to this place, but all of a sudden we found ourselves in this eh, mentality, and you feel more distant from God than you've ever felt in your entire life, what do you do in this situation? Jesus continues in the passage. Here's what he says. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. And if you're a parent, you get that. You understand that. You discipline everyone and you correct because you love. And so be diligent. This is what God is saying to us. Be diligent and turn from what? Your indifference. How do we do that? That's the big question, right? Look at the next verse. It says, here I am. This is a famous verse. This is Jesus talking here. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Could you imagine sitting down and having a meal with Jesus? Just you and him, you open the door, come on in, sit down. I don't care what I'm eating that day. It could be broccoli and that's all we have. Be the best meal of my life. And what Jesus is saying is open the door. And so how do we break spiritual indifference, you let Jesus in. You let Jesus in. Hear me. Not just let Jesus into here, into your intellect or into a section of your calendar on a Sunday morning or maybe even just before you pray or before meals. You let Jesus in fully, fully all the way down into your heart, to the whole part of you. You fully let him in. Some of you, some of you are standing with an arm's length. You got, you know, you're blocking him. You can come this close, God, but that's it. No any further, it'd be uncomfortable if I let you in any further. I'm just gonna tell you this straightforward. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. If, you, if somebody told you that following Jesus, all your problems go away, they lied to you. It's uncomfortable to follow Jesus. It is way worth it, right? In the end, and right now, and with peace that passes all understanding, but it is uncomfortable when you let him in and start messing around inside of your soul and inside of your life. And if you've never given Jesus that opportunity, if you've never let down your guard, if you've never opened that door and say, "Come on into my life. Here I am." Come what may. I invite you, today would be a good day to do that. It is worth it. It is the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. It is the best decision that so many of you have made in your entire life. It's the best decision we've ever made in our entire eternal life because we'll be able to spend eternity with him. And so if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. We're around, we'd love to talk to you about it. But for those of you who have a relationship with Christ and would like to reopen that door, um, you'd like to practically step out of indifference and rekindle that passion and that connection with him. What I'm gonna do is I'm first gonna share with you what I would normally share, and then I'm going to share with you what I'm going to tell you today, okay? Here's what I would normally share to you. This is, and this is good advice. This isn't bad. If you were telling me I'm struggling with spiritual indifference, I don't have the passion that I once had for Jesus now, and I want that back, I'd say pick up your Bible and read about Jesus. Pick up your Bible. This is his living word. It affects you. Take time. Pray to him. Right? You can speak to God. They couldn't do that throughout the entire history, but now we can speak to God. There's no veil between us and between him. I would suggest that you would fellowship with other believers and you would start to have conversations. I would suggest that you would start to witness and to share your faith and what God's doing inside of you. I would suggest that you turn away from sin. I'd suggest that you would give generously in obedience to him, right? But I'm the problem with all those things is there's too much of them. It'll overwhelm you, and we won't do any of them. And so here's what I'm going to tell you today, okay? One simple thing. I think it's a revolutionary thought. It's probably going to be the best piece of advice I'm going to give you in all 52 weeks of the year, okay? So just be aware that it's going to go downhill from here, okay? But if you guys, if we applied this principle, this would change your world. It would change our church. It would change this community, If every day you would do something, one thing that requires faith. Every day, do something that requires faith. Maybe that's to stand up for something or somebody when you know you're gonna be mocked because Christianity is no longer popular and you are going to be mocked when you say, I'm a Christian and I believe this. Stand up and watch the faith build from inside of you, Right? Maybe pray, pray for something that's impossible and just wait and see what God is going to do. Maybe you apologize for something that you've allowed your pride to get in the way of. Take that step and be honest and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And maybe they won't forgive you, but apologize, right? Or maybe forgive somebody who needs it. And you're like, well, they'll never forgive me right? Well, you step out and be the first one in doing that. Volunteer to pray. As simple as that at your next life group, at your group meeting. Actually, maybe go to one. So many of you guys, this is nuts. The amount of people that signed up for groups this season is amazing. It's crazy. The next step is to actually go, right? (laughs) I hope that happens. Every day, do something that requires faith. Reach out to somebody who's far from God and just talk to them. How are you doing? What's going on in your world? Have I told you about Jesus lately? I have? Well, let me tell you again, right? Open up yourself to something that will break God's heart something that is difficult but breaks God's heart. Attempt to do something that you know could not be accomplished if God didn't intervene. Every day, do something that requires faith. So why does this even matter? Here's why. Because scripture teaches us that it is impossible to please God without faith. And James tells us that without works, faith is dead. Right? It is dead. Well, what brings life? Christ brings life. Faith brings life. The remedy, the prescription, the solution, if you feel far from God, if you feel detached, if you're spiritually indifferent, is to let Jesus in fully in faith. And you will find yourself, when you do that, worrying more people think. You will find yourself living for the things that last rather than the things of this world. You will find yourself not rationalizing your sin, but confessing your sin. You will find that you will be so bold and you will have God-specific conversations about faith and you're not gonna be worried about it. You're gonna turn to God daily rather when there's just an emergency and you will appear different to other people. Why? Because you are different. Because you're a child of God. To close out, I want to share with you how I watched this happen with one individual who is here at this church. He was here at last service, and his name is Steve. And Steve went to um, ministry with me, like, uh, youth ministry. He was a student back when I was a youth pastor. And let's just shoot straight. Steve was one of those kids I didn't think was going to make it. And when I mean I don't think is going to make it, I don't mean I don't think he was going to grow up and become a fully devoted disciple. I thought, I, didn't, I thought I'd be doing his funeral rather than doing a wedding or celebrating him coming into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, the guy lived out of control. The only reason he came was because one of his friends invited him. And he went there and we put him in the group where you put, you know, like these were the troublemakers. They were all his friends. They would come to church high They would come to church. He even told me last service, I couldn't believe it, he confessed it, uh, that they were doing cocaine in the prayer room, right? And so while youth ministry was happening, glad I didn't know about that, Steve was on the worst trajectory possible. And eventually Steve got to the age where he was no longer able to come to youth ministry and I stopped being a youth pastor and, and so we lost touch for a little while. And then Steve... Apparently something happened in his life that woke him up. He had an argument with his mom, and he told his mom, I don't want to talk to you ever again. And then he never saw his mom or talked to his mom again. And she passed away. And it shook Steve up in a way that he had never been shooken up before. And so Steve, what he did, is he heard about our story. He heard that we were starting a church. And so he reached out, he actually came to my office, and he didn't, you know, he didn't call, even though he had my number. He didn't, uh, he, didn't, he didn't email or anything like that. He just showed up. That's what Steve does. He just showed up. I wasn't there. And he left a note um, in there. And Allison found it and put it on my desk. And, uh, and he said, I just, I need to talk to you. And so we got together and talked. And he says, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of playing church. I'm just tired of giving God a halfway shot. I want to let him all in. What do I have to do? And he was broken. He was a broken man. He'd gotten to the place where it's like, it didn't matter. It didn't make any difference. I'm gonna go in all, I'm gonna let Jesus all the way in, not just here, but here. And so I told Steve at that point, well, come start this church with us, right? You could help us, right? I don't know what Steve was gonna do and how he's gonna help us in the beginning, but you could come help us. So he joined. Steve has been here since the beginning. Steve did not know Jesus prior. But Steve knows Jesus now. And when you look into Steve's eyes, there's, they're different. He's different. He has two beautiful little girls, little daughters. And they help him clean up after church when they do the, the facilities team. He serves in children's ministry is what he does. It's crazy. My favorite part, it's, it, I, don't, I don't know what service Steve is going to show up at, But almost every time he'll show up late, he'll walk down the side and then he'll come sit in the front, right? And then you know what he does? He grabs out notes. Steve grabs out notes and writes down notes about how he could better follow Jesus. Steve, the kid I thought was going to never make it past 20, is serving Jesus. And if you look into his eyes, he's not the same guy. He has life and life to the full, and you know what he's doing now? Those friends that brought him to church are not following Jesus, but you know what he does? He calls them on a weekly basis and invites them to come to church and invites them into a relationship with Jesus. And they haven't, one of them has come. It's been great, I think he was high when he came. One of his buddies came, pretty sure. But they came, right? And Steve is having an impact like I have never seen. And you know, I'll tell you what, it brings me such joy and inspiration and I'm so proud of him. Um, And it makes me want to get up in the morning and keep serving Jesus the way that we serve Jesus. And if you're living a life of spiritual indifference, right, it's just like, I, I don't not want to follow Jesus. I'm just, eh. I just, eh. My suggestion would be to open that door wide open and invite Jesus all the way in. It will be uncomfortable, completely uncomfortable. It will be worth it though, right? Every day, just do something that requires faith. Baby steps through this thing. And eventually, you'll find yourself standing before Jesus on that faithful day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And when you do on that day, it'll all be worth it. It'll all be worth it. What would Jesus undo? Spiritual indifference. How is it undone? Through the power and faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.